welcome to Happen Here. People, places, and the stories they tell. I'm Robbie Stamp, host of this episode, Seven Dials. Seven Dials, funny name for an area of London. Seven Dials today is every bit the prosperous area its creator envisioned, but it was not ever thus. This episode tells of Thomas Neal's somewhat speculative early vision of how a former plantation slave found his way to its famous sundial and reimagines a riotous scene that Charles Dickens himself described after one of his many research trips to the area. Without further ado, let's begin. Seven Dials, Central London. Why Seven? Written by Joanna Clark, performed by Kate Reed. The stranger who finds himself in the dials for the first time and stands at the entrance of seven obscure passages, uncertain which to take, will see enough around him to keep his curiosity and attention awake for no inconsiderable time. From the irregular square into which he has plunged, the streets and courts dart in all directions until they are lost in the unwholesome vapour which hangs over the housetops and renders the dirty perspective uncertain and confined. So wrote Charles Dickens of Covent Garden's Seven Dials in 1835. This notorious maze-like slum had established itself since the early 18th century, but it was a far cry from the original intentions for the area. Indeed, it's with a swell of pride that Thomas Neal peruses the planning application in front of him, ready to be submitted to the Surveyor-General Sir Christopher Wren. The paper shows a street design in the shape of a star, with six streets radiating from a central focal point. Something fancy should go in the middle. A sundial, yes. He'd get master carver Edward Pierce to add prestige. It's 1692. And Neil, an MP, has spent the past two years concocting an ingenious plan to offset the costs of the lease he had purchased on an area known as Cock and Pie Fields. Only a stone's throw northwest of Inigo Jones's swanky residential piazza in Covent Garden, built 60 years previously, for Thomas, a speculator, an entrepreneur, and money man, it seemed like the perfect investment. But after such a substantial financial commitment, how was he to ensure a profit? Neil smiles. Ground rents were charged by length of frontage, not by square footage. And six streets meant more frontage, thus far more rental income than any of the fashionable squares of the day. Too bad Inigo Jones didn't think of that. In fact, there's probably room to squeeze a seventh street in there, Neil thinks to himself as he rolls up the plan with care. Why not? At first, Neil's vision of a profitable, respectable neighbourhood seemed to materialise. Once the seven streets were laid out and the sundial erected, the first inhabitants of the area were respectable gentlemen, lawyers and prosperous tradesmen. Profit achieved, Neil disposed of his interests in the area in 1695, leaving Seven Dials to its fate. He focused on his other projects, recovering treasure from shipwrecks and establishing a postal service in the American colonies, a speculator through and through. Unfortunately, 
just like its idol Covent Garden Piazza, Seven Dials quickly went downhill. London's booming population and immigration saw leases in the area subdivided so that one room came to house entire families and gin houses, gambling dens and crime abounded. In 1773, Neil's sundial was pulled down by order of the paving commissioners in an attempt to rid the area of undesirables who congregated around it. The stranger who finds themselves in Seven Dials today will not see a slum. Far from it. In the 1970s, the area underwent a rejuvenation and a reconstructed sundial was unveiled in 1989. Neil's legacy remains in the original street layout and the names of Neil Street and Neil's Yard. But perhaps most of all the fact that, centuries later, Seven Dials is very much the upmarket, affluent neighbourhood he intended it to be. Seven Dials' descent into a slum meant it drew the poor and the desperate from far and wide, looking for a way to survive. Some of them had travelled further than others. Seven Dials, London. The Black Loyalists. Written by V.L. Richardson, performed by Jasmine Elcock. It is early spring in 1786, a dank, cheerless day, as Josiah slips into a doorway to shelter from the sleet that seems to blow into his face no matter what direction he walks in. As he watches a beggar, dressed in rags and caked in grime, unsuccessfully work a knot of people gathered under the shadowless sundial at the heart of seven dials, Josiah ponders the fate of those who stayed behind. The years have not been kind to those who had journeyed to Britain, and he wonders if those back home are faring any better. Born into the brutal world of the plantation slave, Josiah's journey to the heart of a city thousands of miles from the land of his birth was a story of survival he scarcely believed himself. It had started with a rumour, a whisper in a cotton field, far from the ears of horse-mounted overseers or those who would turn in a fellow slave in exchange for a lightening of their burden. A British army officer was promising freedom to any slave who escapes from his master and chooses to fight for his majesty. In 1775, the American War of Independence presented the British army with a serious problem. With two campaigns being fought in India and regiments required in Europe, the army desperately needed men. So, on November 7th, John Murray, 4th Earl of Dunmore and Governor of Virginia, issued a proclamation promising freedom to any escaped slave who joined the British forces. It worked. Over the course of the war, several thousand people escaped enslavement and found their way to British camps. Known as the Black Loyalists, they fought with distinction, but the American Revolutionary War was eventually lost. After the defeat, the British kept their word, and Black Loyalists were resettled in many remaining British colonies. Around 400 former slaves took up the offer to board ships bound for England. However, once ashore, they were abandoned to their own devices in a country where slavery was still legal and racism rife. Black loyalists couldn't find work. Many ended up in London's Seven Dials, where they fell into destitution and homelessness. Sighing, Josiah turns his back on the beggar and continues his journey. He is on his way to investigate another rumour. A society called the Committee for the Relief of the Black Poor, is promising help for people like Josiah, and he wants to find out how. 
the help comes in a somewhat unexpected form. The committee proposes to send the Negroes back to Africa. After all, that's where they came from. And in a remarkably short time, a plan is agreed and the necessary funds raised. So it is that in October 1786, Josiah, along with 440 other black loyalists, stares out from another deck at the beginning of his final Atlantic voyage. On May 10th, 1787, after a torrid voyage, 380 black loyalists disembarked on an uninhabited stretch of African coast known as Frenchman's Creek, together with several thousand fellow loyalists, mostly arriving from Nova Scotia. They founded a settlement called Glanville. Life was tough, and many perished in the first few years, but the settlement survived. Glanville is now called Kleintown, a suburb of Freetown, the capital of Sierra Leone. Seven Dials, a place of slums and poverty, chaotic yet creative, was still a magnet for migrants from many lands in the 19th century. Victorian author Charles Dickens endlessly wandered London and wrote portraits of many different areas, often illustrated by Boz and printed in Bell's Life in London. In 1835, he stood under a lamppost at Seven Dials and recorded all the events you'll hear in our third story. Well, most of them we've given a voice to one of the characters he observed. An Englishman, an Irishman and a Scotsman walk into a bar. Written by Zach Garzi Torbati, performed by Stephen Fry. I always thought Seven Dials sounded quite class. Maybe it had been, but Jesus, when I got here in, uh, oh, 1834, it was hell. I was 17 when a gang of us left Ireland. Napoleon and his French wars caused so much poverty, all we could do was leave to find work. Thousands sailed for America, but I got seasick, so London it was. I had heard everyone settling in Seven Dials. When I get there, I see why it got its name. Seven streets, each darting off in a new direction, each as busy as another. The layout's mad. The buildings are pokey because of uh, Thomas something, uh, Thomas Neal's design. I learn how the landlords make money from how big the front of a place is, not the room size. That's Londoners, greedy. But as you'd expect in a place full of hard-working men, there's an inn on every corner. First afternoon there, I just roves the streets. A beggar sings an Irish ballad, makes me homesick. He hasn't got to finish before the crowd round him turns to watch a screaming fight between two drunken colleens. Man trouble? I don't know. But we cheers them on as they pull each other's hair. The police arrive and we're off. Then this drunken local stumbles over, keeps asking if I know where some fella is. I'm telling him how I'm new here, but he just looks at me confused, says he doesn't speak French. Jesus! In the end, I see what he's saying. The maggot thinks I'm speaking French. Off he staggers and I feel someone staring at me. A man 
fairly well-to-do, definitely doesn't belong here, leans on a post, stares at me all smug. I'm not in the best of tempers now, so I marches over and asks who the hell he thinks he's staring at. Would you believe? He says he's Charles Dickens. You know, the fella wrote them stories. Of course, that means nothing to me. So I tells him, get the hell away before he gets a fist in the face. Maybe he'll write something about me. Then it's into an inn and things get out of hand. Don't know how it begins, but this tall Scotsman is slammed onto the bar next to me. He's barely stood up before someone takes another swing at him. Knocks over my drink. So I throws a punch, and before you know, the whole place is a riot. Then come those police whistles. Time to disappear. Only there's no way out the front. Duck behind the bar and follow the bartender. Sure, the Scotsman's following me. Into the store, there's a dark staircase going down. I practically fall down it, black as hell. Like three blind mice, we stumble forward all in a row. We blunder up another set of stairs. We goes through a door and blow me. If I don't find myself in an inn across the street. See, there's underground passages between all the pubs on Seven Dials. So now we're bonded by the experience, the Englishman, the Irishman and the Scotsman. We do what respectable gents would do. We buy each other drinks and watch the fight from across the road. Sure, the place is hell, but it's home. Seven Dials, a unique configuration of streets and stories, long may it continue. Happened here, people, places, and the stories they tell. Hi, my name is Zach. Uh, I was asked uh, to do something about Dickens writing about Seven Dials, and as usual, I decided to take a slightly sideways step on this. I hope you enjoyed it and finding out about all of those secret passageways. I don't know if they're still there, but we'll have to check. And uh, come and join the community at happenedhere.com. We'd love to see you here. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, tell your friends and leave us a kind review and a rating on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. But for now, everybody involved in Happened Here, the writers, the hosts, the performers, thanks you for listening. Do come again. We've got lots more stories to tell. <laughs>